that we are, quote, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And what we have been seeing is that the body of Christ means that Christ is with us. He's in us by his spirit. He works through us. And importantly, what we've seen is that being the body like, of Christ like that actually isn't the case for any individual Christian, although we are each body parts. But rather, in God's word, the body of Christ is universal. Importantly, for every Christian, that then is to take real and practical effect in how we are to be body parts in a local church body. And in fact, you can see that even in our first verse, long passage here this morning because remember the inspired apostle Paul in this letter of 1 Corinthians is writing to a church 2,000 years ago a church with individual believers in Jesus just like you and me a, a church that gathered together and did life together in Corinth just like we're to do here in Stanford and writing to them amazingly in verse 27 you can look down at our first verse Paul writes this now you are the body of Christ and individually members or body parts, same word, of it. And I know that if you've been with us through these four weeks together, we're probably now used to hearing that, that we really are body parts as part of this local church body. But as we now come to the last message in this series, let's just make sure that we don't let the, the awe of that fall away. <laughs> because again, let's be clear, that does then mean that we at ECC all of us as individual body parts, when we are together, not just on Sundays, but in our lives, and not just when we do for one another and serve one another, that's true, but also when we are just who God made each of us to be together. When that happens, we are a local body of Christ. Meaning Jesus Christ, of course, is still real and alive, and he himself bodily is back one day, but also... In a real sense, we together are Christ's body. And so that's what we've been seeing in this series thus far. But that said, that, that leads us to this week and our final longer passage here. And perhaps in the scripture reading, if you've been with us for any amount of time, uh, you're a bit surprised by how many verses we are covering this morning. And that's because we have been going pretty slowly through God's word, basically verse by verse together in this series. And you can see that we've been going kind of slowly and that it's taken us four weeks to go from verse 12 of chapter 12 to verse 26 last week. And so in four weeks, we've covered 15 verses. But I bring that up because now this week, we're going to cover 18 verses together. And the reason for doing so, if you're curious, is basically because while Paul, as we just read, does mention the body of Christ there in verse 27, yet that's actually the last time in this whole letter of 1 Corinthians that he does so. Which is kind of interesting. And the reason for that isn't because, as we'll see, he's moving on to a totally new topic. And we know this especially because Paul's going up this idea of individual Christians and gifts again for a long time in chapter 14. And so it's not that he's moving on to a totally new topic. And so the question is, so why stop using the language of the body of Christ? Well, I think it's because he's now, in a way, going to bring everything that we've seen together in these last four weeks in this series to a climax. Meaning he's going to show that, yes, everything we talked about in this series, being the body of Christ, really does matter. Like how we're each individual body parts, how we don't just go to church, but we're supposed to be vibrant body parts in churches, how we're all different and needed and all of that. 
That's what we've seen. That's all important. That's in God's word. And yet also, what Paul will do now in this passage this morning is he's going to bring all that to a climax and basically get across the idea that what binds all of that and what we can't forget about and what is to be in all of that is love. Love. And not just love in word, but a real feeling of love and a true living with one another. That is the climax, if you will, about all of this talk. This morning, which leads us then to how we'll go through this passage together this morning. So all that said, in terms of our outline, we'll have three sections together, three sections. And they're pretty straightforward if you just look down at your will be in that first paragraph there in verses 27 through 31. And there we'll see the Bible basically summarize how God fills his churches with gifts. And then second will be in that next paragraph in chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. And there we'll see how if, even if we have gifts, if we don't love one another, then it's all worthless. Which then finally will lead us to the third and last section, which is verse 4 through the end of chapter 13. And there we'll see, climatically, Paul talk about what this love between us in a local church is to look like, both now and forever. And so in summary, first, the first paragraph about gifts. Second, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13, about how without love, it's all worthless. And finally, what that love between us is supposed to look like now and really unto eternity. But all that said then, church, let's then begin our first section together. And again, we'll be in verse... 27 through 31, and we'll see how God fills each of his local churches with gifts. God fills his churches with gifts. And there's a reason I think we should say it that way, rather than just saying we're all gifted. Because that is true, but the spiritual gifts aren't just about how you and I have certain gifts, but also about how God himself fills his churches with gifts so that those churches can be healthy, vibrant, local bodies. Or to say it another way, spiritual gifts are really about how God the Spirit graces, gives, gifts his churches for their good and for Jesus' glory, which is why they're called spiritual gifts. But all that said, to see more on this, let's just first read verses 27 through 31 and we'll break down what we see. So look down to your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 27 through the end of 31. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So to be honest, if we were teaching slowly through 1 Corinthians right now as a church, we'd cover a lot more things in there, things you may have questions about, especially concerning topics like prophecy and tongues or languages and stuff like that. But for the sake of our time in this series, just about the body of Christ, We actually won't get into all of that. Rather, just looking overall and generally at Paul's point here, and especially thinking about why he writes like this in the context of the body of Christ, 
I think we see two broad things in this paragraph about God's local churches, meaning two broad things that are true about us here at ECC. And one of them is about gifts in general, and then the other one is about that verse 31 and desiring the higher gifts. Now, so let's just take those one at a time. So first, what we see in this paragraph is a lot of talk about gifts, right? A lot of talk about gifts. And as we said, as I already said, I think we can summarize this more faithfully as saying that God fills his churches with gifts. And the reason for that is because if you now, if you now look at that list, again, although we won't cover everything there, we can quickly look there and see that there's actually kind of three different categories of gifts that Paul lists. Three different categories. And they're not just things or talents that we each do well, although some of them are. And here's what I mean. So instead of gifts just being talents we have, essentially, instead, as for the first category of God, God gives to his church, just look again at the beginning of verse 28. There, Paul starts with the, and God has appointed in the church. Right, and hearing that in this context of spiritual gifts, we might think that he'd start talking about God has appointed in the church certain things that people can do, right? Like the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism or whatever. But instead, what does Paul talk about? Well, he begins this list of gifts by talking about certain positions which people fill in the church. Positions which people fill. Meaning his first category, if you will, of spiritual gifts is certain roles and people in the church. And specifically, he says this first of apostles, which were the people, in case you're wondering, who saw Jesus rise and they wrote scripture and so although there are no more apostles living today, if you think about it, still everyone agrees the spiritual gift of the apostles is still a gift for each church. Like how we right now are literally growing and studying what Paul himself wrote in God's word. And then the prophets were a gift. And that word just literally means someone who speaks God's very words. And then finally, he says, teachers are a gift, meaning people who teach and explain what God has already said. And now, of course, again, if you're curious, more could be said and all that, but the general point then is, for sake this morning, is that that then is the first category, you, if you will, of gifts in a local church. It's certain people and certain positions for the good of the church. And especially, as you can see in those three gifts that Paul lists, People in roles that communicate God's word. Not, not because the people are important, but instead because apparently God's people really need and are really to love as said. And so that's the first category. Positions or people in the church. Which then leads to the second category of gifts here. And this one is not now people, but the second category of gifts is things that God himself can do in churches. God himself can just do in churches. And this is something I don't think we consider as much when we talk about spiritual gifts. But we see that here too, I think, because look, for example, at the next things in the list. Towards the second half of verse 21, 28, quote, miracles then gifts of healing. And in this category, I think we could also include that various kinds of tongues. And these are just things that God can do. Perhaps through people, but just what God can do. Because think about it, concerning things like miracles... Notice Paul doesn't say that someone is gifted necessarily with the ability to do miracles. God can use somebody. But rather, he just says in verse 28 to start, and God appointed miracles. 
Which makes sense because miracles, by definition in the Bible, are something that God does. And the same goes, I think, for how Paul says gifts of healings, both of which actually in the original are plural. And that's significant because I think the idea then is that healings can happen in church less because somebody does it or someone's a healer. That's actually not a New Testament gift, but more because God can give gifts of healings. And so again, more could be said on that, but I do think that's a second category of gifts here. It's just things that God primarily himself can do in a church. Which finally then leads to the third category of spiritual gifts. And this is the one that we're most familiar with. And this, these are just things that God enables his people to be good at individually. And we see this, for example, in verse 28 with those next things of helping and administrating. Right? And for things like that, for us, we might be prone to think that things like that are just natural. Right? Like being good at administration. But in reality, the Bible's point is that anything that we are good at is ultimately from God, and it can be a gift that is used in his local church for the good of body parts and believers. And so all that said, I know there's a lot, but that's the first thing we see here in verse 7 through 31. God really does fill his churches with gifts. And that matters for you and me because first, personally, it does continue to show us like throughout this whole series that we really do each matter. And we do have certain gifts and abilities that God has given us for the good of others in this local body. But not only that, second, this also just generally matters for you and me because this means that God himself has appointed and gifted to his churches, number one, certain people, number two, certain things that can happen, and number three, just certain overall abilities and talent in this church, also that his local church may really flourish and be a healthy church body. Or, or to say it most simply, God himself is set on making his local churches flourish. And he himself accomplishes that by gifting his churches by his spirit as he sees fit. And we need to believe that is what he's doing here at East. And so that's the first main thing we see here in this paragraph. God fills his churches with gifts. Then second, briefly, that leads us to talk about the other big thing, in my opinion, on this section. And that's verse 31. And I want to mention this briefly because it may sound strange to some of us after a lot of what we've seen in this series. Because in verse 31, you might have noticed Paul writes, he writes, quote, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Right? And again, that might seem strange because we've been talking about how from God's word, and especially the last paragraph, we can't prejudge others. Everyone's important. And so the question is, what are these higher gifts? that the Bible is telling us to earnestly desire. And its answer to that, I think when we consider the higher gifts or greater gifts that could be translated that God gives to the church, it doesn't mean that no one, those people aren't important, but I think it does mean that we can assume from this context that Paul means here a couple things, at least a couple things. And I think these will make sense. First, the higher gifts, the greater gifts in this context would be those that actually build up other people in the church actually build up others. And we know this because back then, this was written because certain people were using their gifts for selfish reasons. And so it seems that the higher gifts we should seek are those that really build up others, not just yourself. And then second, as for these higher gifts, 
in this context, just think again of the list there in verse 28 at the beginning. Especially with those apostles, prophets, and teachers. Because maybe you notice those were the only gifts in that verse that were actually numbered with that first, second, and third, which shows that there's some sort of order. Right? First, apostles who saw Jesus rise and wrote scripture. Second, it's prophets who spoke God's very inerrant word. And then third are teachers who simply teach what God has already said. And hearing those three that Paul numbers, ask yourself, what binds all of those together? Well, again, it's not necessarily that they're that important in themselves, but it's the fact that all those gifts are primarily about knowing and speaking God's word. Which means then, briefly for all of us, that earnestly desiring the higher gifts, I think, would mean two things. Number one, it would mean seeking from God the ability or abilities that really build up other brothers and sisters, not just yourself. And number two, it means seeking from God the ability to really know and communicate his word. Right? And to be really clear, especially on that second point, that isn't just for people in an official church position of like teaching pastor like myself. Rather, notice in verse 31, Paul says to everyone that they should earnestly desire the higher gifts. Which again means for all of us that we should ask God for abilities to build others up. And we should ask God and seek the ability to really know his word more and share it more with others. Which is why, by the way, something like deep Bible study together is so important. Right? Not just so we can each personally know God's word more, although that's true, but also so that we can build others up with what God himself has. So that's our first section, verses 27 through 31. In brief, the Bible is again telling us that in the body of Christ, with its individual body parts like you and me, God fills the church with gifts. And that should be encouraging because God himself then is equipping all of us with gifts and he's gifting this local church, brothers and sisters, here at ECC. That then leads us to our second section. So that was our first section about gifts. But now here, in this first paragraph of chapter 13, which would be our shortest section, Paul will transition to talking about love. And as you might have noticed, he actually already kind of started transitioning with that last line of verse 31, with that, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so his point is, just having gifts is one thing, but now we'll read of something even more excellent than just having gifts, and that's love. And so now look down and we'll read verses 1 through 3. And remember, chapter divisions were added hundreds of years after this was written. And so this was just Paul's next words, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So as you can hear, Paul is using hyperbole here a couple times to make a point. And as you might know, hyperbole is just exaggerating something to say something else in a powerful way. And, and, and as you can see, Paul's especially doing that in verses 1 and 2. Because look there, and look at the structure of these verses in your Bible. Because to start, in verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men... And of angels. Which as you can see that first part there. Speaking the 
language of men is clearly possible. But then I think the second part about speaking the language of angels is probably hyperbole. And that then I think is proven by that same exact structure happening in verse 2. Where Paul starts with, and if I have prophetic powers, which was possible, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, which is clearly hyperbole, because no one can understand all mysteries, have all knowledge, or have all faith. So you can see the structure. So there's hyperbole in those first two verses. And then in the third verse, he starts with, and if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, and although those might not be hyperbole, because somebody could do that, still there now Paul might be referencing actually the Old Testament story, which we're probably familiar with, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego giving up their lives and their bodies to be burned. And so, all that said, Paul here, in these verses, using hyperbole, and he's perhaps even using an Old Testament story, all to prove his point. And, and what's his point? Well, well, it's clearly, if I had all of that, and, and if I did all of that, meaning in this context, if I was so gifted, and knowledgeable, and sacrificial, even for God's sake, and yet I didn't have love, it'd be worthless. And not just worthless, but one more thing on this section. Notice exactly what the Bible says at the end of verse 2 and verse 3. Because it's not just that without love none of it matters. That's true. But God inspired Paul specifically to say first at the end of verse 2, without love, quote, I am nothing. Right, and that shows us, brothers and sisters, that this idea of being people of love isn't just about what we're supposed to do but it is about who we are. Right? Because saying without love, I am nothing, shows that if we do all these seemingly gifted and good and sacrificial things and say they're for God, and yet we don't really love God and love one another, then we've lost who we are. I am nothing. But then on top of that, in verse 3, at the end, Paul adds, without love, quote, I gain nothing. And perhaps for some of us here, that three little word phrase there, I gain nothing, might be the most important takeaway from this whole passage this morning. Because let's be honest, in this whole series, by talking about the body of Christ and being individual body parts and really being connected in our lives and using our gifts and getting to know and loving others. In all that, you might be sitting there and just hearing all that as something that you now just should do as a Christian. Right? You just might naturally just put this on a category of what I now have to do or as a mere duty now as I try to follow Jesus. Right? Be, really being a part of a local church. But the Bible bringing up this idea of gain here at the end of verse 3, which is still in the context of local churches being the body of Christ, shows us if we're thinking that way about this, that this is just mere duty, then we've got it all wrong. Because instead, being in a church body and being really involved and really loving others and being loved is gain. Which is why without love, in a local church context, which is what the context is here, without that, I gain nothing. Which implies, with love, I personally gain a lot. So that's our second main paragraph. And so thus far, the Bible's talked about gifts. 
And now here, this has been more the beginning and starting talking about this more excellent way, how love is needed and love is really beneficial, which all finally then leads us to our third and last section this morning. And for this, we're going to be all in verse 14 through the end of verse, verse 4 through the end of verse 13. Now, especially here, we're going to see that this is honestly way too much for us to cover in the amount of time we have left. But again, our goal here is just to see more generally what the Bible is saying and especially see how this relates to us being believers in a local church together. And so again, we're going to be in 4 through 13, but we're actually going to take this section in two steps. First, verses 4 through 7 there, and then verses 8 through 13. And so we will begin with verses 4 through 7. And quickly though, even before we read this, I am sure, almost certainly, that this passage of scripture that we're about to read is something that everyone has heard here, even if you're personally not a Christian, perhaps even many times. And that's because what we're about to read is the now famous 1 Corinthians 13 love paragraph, right, which is often read at weddings, right? And that is fit, that's fine and good, as it is a beautiful paragraph about love. And yet that said, what I hope you see this morning, even right now, maybe in the first time of your life, is that in actuality, meaning in God's word and how God inspired Paul to write this, in actuality, this paragraph about love was originally talking about how a local church body is to be. Each of us in a local church, and we as a local church, are supposed to love like this. That's actually the context. But that said, let's not read the paragraph. We're familiar with this, but look down in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So again, we don't have the time to break all of that down, but in short, that's what a local body of Christ is to look like. We are in this together, trusting Jesus as body parts in a local body with gifts, but especially with that love. And that means, for example, being patient and kind with one another. It means not envying or boasting or being arrogant and rude in our relationships. It means not being selfish or irritable or resentful towards other people here. It means not rejoicing at wrongdoing, but rejoicing with the truth because we're people who want to follow Jesus and we are people who love the truth. And finally, it means bearing everything together, believing what we believe together and hoping and enduring together. That's supposed to be a local church, a body of love. And as I said last week, although let's be honest, local churches always do struggle with this. The reality is, by God's grace, many local churches for thousands of years have had a reality of love like this. And in fact, that is a big reason why Christianity has spread the way it has. Not only because it's true, that's that's true, but also because local churches, and let's be clear, of all different types and sizes, but honestly, usually smaller churches, they still became places of truth and salvation, absolutely, but also they became places of community and connectedness and love. They became places as bodies of Christ that worth the love of Christ. And so that's verses 4 through 7. And again, that's how then we're to look more and more as a local church. And on that though, before we move on, as a quick personal side note, I just do want to say that I am so thankful 
for the ways we here at ECC are loving like this and the ways we're doing it more and more by God's grace. For example, I see this love spreading on Sunday mornings when people are uh, chatting and getting together. I see this love in the fellowship hall after the service in our Bible study groups where, again, it's amazing. We have 38 men and women involved in the events we do together, but also I see it just in the ways that I hear of people getting to know one another and becoming friends with one another. Because all that is a beautiful thing. Because church isn't just about what happens up here on Sunday mornings. Instead, all of that is proof that us here at ECC are acting as a church. (laughs) Meaning a group of people that don't just go to church on Sundays, but we're acting more and more as the church body that we are. And so praise God for that. But also, the application, of course, from this paragraph for each of us is to now hear what we just read and try to love more and more like that. Right, meaning we should look at that paragraph, that paragraph we know well, and we should read it and see what we need to work on and then make the application to seek and go love others in this local body more like that. Now, now that finally leads us to verses 8 through 13. And again, we won't be able to cover all of this, but we'll finish now this chapter and this series. And as we do so, just notice what Paul brings up here because it's interesting. So he's talked about gifts and then love. And then he writes, verses 8 through 13, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So again, there's a lot in there we will not cover, but concerning perhaps why Paul would write this, think about essentially what he's saying here. Because in short, he here with this paragraph, if you're tracking with us, goes in this whole passage from talking about gifts to talking specifically about love, to now, in this paragraph, really emphasizing love and eternity. Right? Gifts, love, to love and eternity. And so the question is, why is that? Why does he all of a sudden start talking about eternity and the glory to come? And I think the answer is because bringing everything together, now it seems that Paul's point essentially is, so local church, local church in Corinth, and local church here at ECC, everything that we've seen in our series is our calling. Meaning we are to be a local body of Jesus Christ, individual body parts with gifts, and especially with love. That is our calling. But also, in all of that, remember, so much of this is fading. <laughs> right, this world, our church, our gifts, And we're only knowing in part right now. In a sense, we're only like children right now. And so don't overemphasize this pasting world or even your gifts or your knowledge now because yes, all that might be important, but instead of making it mainly about that, do you know what will last forever? Love. Meaning what out of all of this will last forever is how we really love God and Jesus and how we really love one another. Because as he says in verse 8, quote, love never ends. Or as he says in verse 13, now faith, hope, and love abide or remain, but the greatest of these is love. 
which practically then means for you and for me that that really is to be our emphasis as we finish this whole series. We're body parts together making up a local body of Jesus and we're to be connected, serving and doing life together and we're to love one another now but also and finally as we do all that, we're to keep eternity in mind because the truth is as for this love, right, this love our God has for us, this love that we have for him and this love that we have with one another, that will last forever. It never ends. It abides, which technically, in case you're wondering, I think love never ending means first that the love that we have right now for God and for one another echoes throughout eternity. Meaning, we, I, I believe we will remember and feel the love that we had for Jesus and for one another, not just in this life, but in the next. But then second, I think this love never end means that although in glory we will not be people at Evangelical Community Church here in Stanford. And although we will be very different with sinless bodies on a renewed earth, physically with Jesus Christ, and so a lot, although a lot will be different, yet love never ends, shows us that what will be the same, now unto forever, is we will be people who are so loved by our God, who love our God, and we will be people who love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Forever. And so the point is now, as we're here, as individual Christians and as Christians who are body parts of this local church, let's be like that. Let's be people of love because we are to be people of love now, yes, but also because we will be people of love forever. Just like our Jesus who saved us and loves us and just like our God who is love. And so that's our passage in our series, church. We started all the way back in chapter 12, verse 12, and now we finish chapter 13. And as for what we saw in summary, not just of this morning, but of our whole series, just to bring everything together, quick reminder of verse, week one, we started with the idea that being the body of Christ means that Christ is with us, in us, by his spirit, and he works through us as a local church body. Then week two, we saw that we get into the body of Christ by believing in Jesus, and in that moment, the Spirit himself immerses us into Christ. And then, though, we practically show and symbolize that by, number one, water baptism, which symbolizes our immersion into Christ. And then number two, we show that reality of being in Christ's universal church by actually being a body part in a local church. And then in week three, we spent a whole message showing that each of us as individual body parts really is different and really matters and is needed. And then in week four, last week, we saw how we can't prejudge others and say this person or that person necessarily is more important. Instead, we are to see as a body that we need everyone, that we're connected and we're supposed to care for everyone, and that we're even to suffer together and rejoice together. Which then led to this week, where we saw that as a local church, we are full of gifts. God is gifting us, yes. But also, and more important than just that, we are to be people of love because we will be people of love forever. Which means for all of us in the series coming to a close, we should all realize that this means, just to be clear, that our God, that Jesus Christ, didn't just come to save us from our sins and then promise to bring us to heaven and come back and make everything good and right one day. That's very true. But also, as for the here and now, and as those who are saved by Jesus, what we've seen and what we need to believe and live in light of now 
is that the same Jesus who saves us is the Jesus whose plan it is and always has been and always will be until he comes back is local churches. <laughs> Sounds so mundane, but local churches. And in those churches, he intends for people not just to go to church, but really be the church in relationships, worshiping, serving, and loving together. That's Jesus' plan. And now all that said, just to be super clear, because I feel like we should include this, just in case any of that's heard wrong, all of that being Jesus' plan for his people does not mean ever that we are saved or more loved by God or that our hope is found in being part of a local church. Because that would be adding to the gospel of Jesus. And so to be clear, being an active body part in a local church, by doing that, that doesn't earn nor merit our salvation, our hope, our peace, our love, or add to what Jesus has done. We are still totally saved, as we're about to sing about, by Christ and in Christ alone. And yet also again, that being 100% true, as those who are totally saved by this Jesus, this is his plan. Not to live isolated Christian lives. We're all prone to lean that way, especially in this culture. Nor to live lives where we just go to church. But his plan is active body parts in local churches. And so practically for us who are members here, or for those of you who, Lord willing, soon will want to maybe join here and be a member here, that means that from God's word, God's plan, Jesus' plan for you and I is to be like that in this local church here at ECC. And so, brothers and sisters, this is God's plan. And finally, this is our privilege then. Think about it this way. We get to be a local body of Jesus Christ. And so one last time, let's do this more and more. Let's be the body of Christ that we are. Let's really get to know one another. Let's serve one another. Let's be connected to one another. Let's be involved in one another's lives. Let's suffer ourselves when we see someone else suffering. Let's rejoice with one another. And then, as we saw this morning, let's really love one another. Because ECC, we are a local body of Jesus Christ and our love for Jesus and our love for one another literally lasts forever. <laughs> Let's pray.